Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by... Hi, uh, this is Agnes, and today we are joined by... Hi, I'm Jack, and I'm replacing Isabel for today. You might know me from the uh, Yuri podcast. And if not, too bad. I'm here. Isabel's gone today. (laughs) (laughs) He is back with us, and we are very excited. Of course, we miss Isabel, but she's out there having fun, quote-unquote, I hope. Oh, yes, and sleeping. sleeping. (laughs) Um, But we have Jack here today, and without further ado, the girl taku today will be about queer baiting versus queer coding in anime, uh, which is a topic that Jack uh, holds very dear to his heart. And so this is why we have him on there. And as also, he is a member of the Pride community, which is why he is very well uh, accustomed. Maybe not accustomed, but very well fit to speak it, it's about in my, topic. Yeah, <laughs> it's in my day-to-day like media consumption life. So I, I'm pretty aware of a lot of these kind of themes. And it's kind of, it's always in the, the front of my mind when I, when I watch media. Yes. And uh, with that being said, though, we shall move on with Agnes's, uh, you know, vocabulary lesson today. Yay! <laughs> She's always here for our vocabulary lessons and our history lessons. So, Agnes, why don't you give us the official definition between queer baiting and queer coding? Because here's sort of like an interesting fact for me personally. I didn't know about the term queer coded, queer coding until very recently, to be completely honest. And I think to this day, I sometimes still kind of struggle between the difference between those two. So I think as a whole, for the people who are listening, it will likely be very, it will likely be very, very helpful for them to hear these official definitions. So like, take it away, you know, what is queer coding? And what is queer baiting? And you know, what is the difference between those two? Sure. Um, Just a a further context is that the definitions that I constructed is based off of a bunch of research that I did in the past couple days. And also it's more taken from a Western perspective rather than an Asian perspective. So we'll be diving more into that in a little bit later. So for most Westerners, queer baiting is more commonly known as a marketing technique that uses sexual ambiguity to tease queer individuals or to tease queer individuals or couples into watching a piece of media like a TV series or a show or like a movie, but the show or series don't explicitly state anything in hopes of appeasing to both queer audiences and for a heteronormative audiences or basically audiences that expect like a male and a female couple rather than like a gay couple or a lesbian couple or somebody who's bisexual. Um, there's some pros and cons with the word queer baiting or the term. Some queer audiences will argue saying that queer baiting is quote unquote good because it's a stepping stone to encourage more LGB, LGBTQ awareness in society. But the flip side is that some queer audiences don't feel that they are acutely represented in media because they can't get a straight answer from a creator if, let's say, a couple is being hinted at. Um, and also, additional, additionally, queer baiting tends to be a mainstream method for larger corporations and studios by saying, hey, we're LGBTQ friendly, but they don't deliver the content needed to appease, to entice those audiences. And the queer audiences feel like they've been exploited or played, hence that they're being baited. Um, and on, on top of that, it also feels like erasure as well for some other people and some other members in the community. Now, queer coded is a little bit different. Queer coded is a subtext, subtextual context that's deliberately planted by creators and creatives or executives to foster queer stereotypes and traits more openly so that the audience sees it and they recognize it immediately without making any kind of assumption. Um, queer coded has had some roots in, um, at least in American media, starting off with Disney villains being queer coded to poke fun at them originally and to have them be quote unquote, like punished by the heroes or heroines of the protagonists who are considered heteronormative. Um, however, over the years, queer coded has changed significantly in which, um, it's now become more popular to help spur content creators media to embrace more LGBTQ motives and deliver that into actual protagonists rather than villains, help shape the protagonist's motives into a more complex narrative instead of like, I'm going to save the day or I'm going to look within myself. Um, 
The pro effects is obviously the queer audience can see themselves in these protagonists and feel like they have representation on screen. It's has the same similar feeling when it comes to like race, uh, racial representation on screen. Like, for instance, uh, if you're African descent, you see Chad, uh, uh, Bozeman Chadwick on Black Panther, or you see like Aquafina on Crazy Rich Asians. Similar sentiments in that regard. Uh, but the con side of it is that, like Gracie pointed out earlier, there's still a blurred line between queer coding and baiting. And you can, and people often misconstrue a lot of the context into thinking that queer coded can be a bad thing. Uh, for instance, especially because a lot of other societies aren't as openly available to talk about LGBTQ rights. So they often layer a lot of their stuff and it ends up becoming queer bait rather than queer code. Um, and then there are otherwise some other media that are too blatant with the queer coding that th- and throw out things that don't correlate to the protagonist's story or build up. And that becomes more of like tokenism rather than actual like representation. All right. And uh, Jack, what do you think about these official definitions sort of set by, you know, what more professional people have said in their research that, you know, Agnes has conducted? Yeah, I think that it's a pretty odd spot on how I would see queer bait versus queer code. Um, To me, the most important aspect is kind of the intention behind it, too. So then... With what Agnes said, a lot of the bait part comes from an idea of marketing and advertisement and kind of trying to draw in another marketable, you know, audience. Mm -hmm. So then if the intention is to just draw in the audience but not follow through, then I would say that that's baiting. Obviously, there's a lot more nuances here that we're going to have to (laughs) skim over, but that's the core to me of what bait is. You're doing it because you know it draws in a particular type of person. And then coding... um, is important too because it's it's usually someone on the creative staff has a vision of representing something about themselves, something about what their community is, but something gets in the way or they're scared off by the executives or something about their own you know personal culture doesn't allow them to blatantly show something on screen. So they have to use sort of you know implied techniques to get their point across in a you know clear and fairly blatant way without actually saying the so that's what I would say is the kind of the main caveat there. Yeah, I you know what it made me think of is not necessarily uh, even Western media or Japanese anime. It actually makes me think of Chinese animation. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, gay marriages and any sort of uh, pride community is very much outlawed in China. But there has been an uptick in stories, uh, as you guys have probably seen, you know, with the heavens, uh, with heaven's blessings and other other animation that's come out from China and even live action dramas of stories very much where they have to, they have to queer code the characters because they are literally uh, not allowed to make it explicit by the law. So, um, so that's actually what it makes me think of uh, funnily enough, but we are in anime uh, podcast still. (laughs) So with Uh, our little, (laughs) with our little dash of cultural context and like personal information, but you know, I, I see no better person than to kick this off than you, Jack. So if you can provide (laughs) us an example of an anime that does queer baiting versus like an anime that does queer coding, just so, you know, not only the two of us, but also the audience can hear and see exactly like see, they can't see us, but you know, hear the difference between the Oh, yes. <laughs> Our videos are sure. hard. But, um, <laughs> but basically, if they can hear the difference between the two anime, and then sure. we will try our hand at it. And, you know, you can jump in and tell us if you disagree or agree. So, yeah. Well, a quick little, again, as always, I'm just like, I don't, I don't have that much anime in my repertoire. So I actually went with um, three, an- three anime-ish, like anime-adjacent franchises. All three of mm-hmm. these have an anime. But they are the overall franchises have a lot to unpack when we talk about it. So the um, parent company that I'm going to be talking about is Wushi Road. They've okay. done a lot that, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of the people in the anime sphere know about. Um, so three of their major IPs are all rhythm-based games, and they all kind of like start with this core of cute girls doing cute things. So uh, you have Bang Dream, which is cute girls doing rock bands. You have Revue Starlight, which is cute stage girls doing stage things. And then you have D4DJ, which is cute girls doing DJing. So they all start with that kind of classic 
core of that genre, which presumably, and I think we can all agree, that K-On! started with amazing music, and then it's just, they're doing high school stuff. So I think it would be interesting to go over that, because if we start with Bang Dream, which is the first of the three, it started Mm -hmm. in 2015. And so, as with a lot of things in entertainment, it's usually up to an executive to kind of draw the line somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the reason I bring this up with Bushiroad is because they are the parent company to these creative staffs. So presumably, and I don't have any insider knowledge, this is just kind of my observation, presumably Bushiroad can choose where to draw the line for each of these franchises and how far they go with, you know, queer bait slash code. So then Bang Dream comes out in 2015. um, And then also... Before I forget, shout out to Mehdi for helping me go through all of these thought processes. Because anytime I bring up Bushiroad, we have to bring up Mehdi. So we start with Bang Dream. There's it's a it's a rock band. It's a lot of cute girls, and they all have like uh, interpersonal relationships with each other. They're doing all of the cute high school things. Um, it's a kind of it's 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 absolutely Yuri Bait because it's a kind of IP that you go into it with that type of mindset, and they just kind of give you. They give you um, all of the characters doing cute things like having baking events and being very emotional together and all of that. And there's nothing more than these high schoolers are being very cute and wholesome right now. And they're absolutely platonic friends. But also, if you feel like it, you can ship them. So then that's very much the, um, it's very much the bait line because they sprinkle a little bit of food for you, but they don't ever push it forward. Like, for example, I wrote down the main character, Kasumi. She's the airheaded Genki girl, so she's always very touchy-feely. She's going to jump on all of the other girls and just be like, oh, I love all of you so much, and like, very much like friendly and platonic. But then if you twist it a certain way, you can turn it into all sorts of shippy business with, like, the, one of the other main characters is completely tsundere. So then whenever that character does that to her, she just goes into full blush mode. So you're just like, oh, wow, she's blushing. It must be romantic. It's not. Like, um, I think that it's very cleverly done because it's exactly towing the line of fate with code. So if you're enough of a hardcore fan, then you will be able to connect the invisible dots yourself and make it what you want it to be. But they're very much not doing it um, on purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was. What's funny is I was about to give you a rebuttal and be like, "Well, I can see how some <laughs> people are going to be like, you know, like this is how girls act with their friends. You know, we do oh, have. Yeah. We probably all know one friend who is very openly affectionate and hugs them and means it in a completely platonic way and stuff. But I do want to know, as someone who, uh, you know, For a sure. bit of a more Japanese cultural context is. Mm. Uh, back when, uh, you know, anime training was getting the debate about Kirito and Yujio as a couple on our couples charts, remember, some people were really asking for that to be added on our charts. Uh, Agnes, I don't know if you were here for the Discord. Oh, I... I remember hearing about yeah, it. I yeah. wasn't actively part of it because I wasn't watching SAO, but I remember listening about it. Right. So uh, Yujio <laughs> and Kirito have a lot of like bro moments, you know, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the big thing that sort of uh, that sort of differentiates it is I, I ended up asking my roommate who uh, or the nth time that everyone's been listening is a Japanese American. So she <laughs> she's my go to for a lot of Japanese cultural questions. <laughs> And I asked her, like, you know, what does she think about Kirito Yujio? Because I do know she kind of follows the light novel series and such. And one of the first questions she asked was, does Yujio ever get blushy blushy, you know, whenever mm-hmm. whenever uh, Kirito puts his face really close, you know, or like grabs his hand or something like that. And so, and I, we looked through the scenes and essentially it's like, no, he never does get blushy blushy. It's like, you know, it's very bro-esque with the, with their more affectionate gestures and stuff like that. And so, and basically she was like the blushy blushy part is actually a, usually a pretty big sign as to, or a very good indicator at least on whether the ship is more, is like more legitimate slash like, uh, slash explicit than not and so so I was all ready to be like you know kind of rebut rebuttal you and be like you know I'm really close to my girlfriends like I do exactly that and surprise surprise I have soon to eight girlfriends uh like four of them I can name right off the bat <coughs> Agnes but called out wow this is not the point of the podcast <laughs> We'll have a scene for Sundarays. One podcast for Sundarays. Yeah. No! 
<laughs> but basically, but basically, the minute you said like, "Oh, she's like blushing and stuff like that," I'm like, "Ah, there we go." Like, I I see the baiting now because yeah, the blushing exactly. is usually a pretty big sign of something. And if they they did add that in without sprinkling anything else in there, it is kind of baity. So I I see what you're saying now. <laughs> right, and I think that that's also kind of the main point um, for that franchise. Like, you look at all of the character models, and it, I'm, I have the visual novel aspects in mind right now, where that is a very normal kind of, like, facial expression that each of the characters has. They all, they all have that, like, shy, blushy face, but it's mm-hmm. used so normally that it is, that you can't put blush into, like, the, uh, the romantic situation. Mm-hmm. It's, like, a legitimately embarrassed expression, but also if you, if you decided to see it that way, then you could kind of be like, oh, I'm going to connect the dots and see it as romantic rather than the characters just straight up embarrassed that her, like, best friend is being a little too touchy. So that one, yeah, that one is pure bait. I still love the franchise, but it is bait. I will 100% say that. So which one in uh, the Bushiro context is the queer coded then? Yeah, perfect. So that one's Review Starlight, which... You could get oh, you can finally name. talk about it. Yes, I can finally talk about Starlight. Why didn't <laughs> we have many on this one? <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, so Review Starlight is the queer-coded one. And then the third one that I'll go over very quickly because that one doesn't require uh, too much explanation. Uh, D4DJ is bait with a caveat of this particular relationship is really gay. So, Review Starlight first, though. So this one is based on Takarazuka Review, which has... If you know anything about Japanese culture, that's a it's a very lesbian and very gay coded everything. Not just mm-hmm. coded, just it is. Um, so yeah, Review Starlight has an awesome anime, some movie follow-ups, stage musicals, and mobile game. Uh, same with Bang Dream, it has movies, anime, and mobile game. So in this one's queer coded all hell. They don't tell you. They tell you nothing. Like it's it screams queer. Everything screams that it is gay in some way and. Hopefully that's not the Yuri Lens is talking. Like, I, I want to make you, both of you guys watch it and you tell me what you think. Um, so, like, because they don't tell you anything, that's why it's technically queer-coded. Because there is technically plausible deniability. But if you look at it, I don't think that you could tell me that it is, like, heterosexual at all. Um, and, you know, many would absolutely not let me not mention episode 5, which is Mahiru's episode. And it, that's a character who is kind of, like, known as the third wheel, she, like, is absolutely jealous of the main character's, like, childhood friend coming back from an overseas trip. And this whole episode revolves around her and her jealousy. And one of the main aspects and themes of the show is that each character has their own natural pair. So, like, you have the two rivals, you have the two, like, slightly toxic childhood friends, and then you have the the main cast, and then, like, everyone, each of the characters has their own natural pair except for this character. So she always feels like her place is beside the main character, um, and then feels the other person stole that, stole her spot away. Um, and like, for example, for this episode, I went and scrubbed through, and I was just like, oh yeah, I, re- I remember this episode very clearly. Um, so like, she wants to be with this character so badly that she like wakes up late and is like, oh no, where, where'd she go? And they're roommates, so she just like flops over to the other character's bed and like takes her pillow and just like, just goes right into it, smothers herself with the other characters below, and just, like, inhales her essence. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> so she has, no, she, yeah, so she has these really, really obsessive moments where she just does that, and then she's, like, looking, she hands the character, late, later on, she hands the character a towel, and then she looks at it with, like, a really sparkly gaze, like, the, it, there's, like, a bunch of sparkles over here, used towel, and then the other character drinks out of a water bottle, and she's staring at the water bottle really intently. She doesn't drink out of it, but then she's just, like, she's looking at it. And she's just like, I'm gonna do it. She doesn't do it, but it's like... So then, like, wow. And then there's an entire musical number where she fights Karin, which is the main character. She she fights her, and she's just, like, telling her through song basically how she feels of, like, I it's like, I should be the one with you by your side. Like, I, my place is by your side. Why is this happening to me? Um, and that's, like... They just do her whole character. It's like Steven Universe. They do her whole character development within a musical number. Um, and yeah, so then that's they don't they don't tell you anything. Like there is an offhand line that one of the characters says. That's like I forgot exactly what it is, but the character asks a question that's very 
romantically uh, charged, where it's like, oh, you, but you really love her, don't you? Like, that kind of question. I don't mm. know the exact one. Um, but yeah, like, that's this particular episode just kind of dumps it on you. If you weren't convinced before, this is the one that really kind of slaps you in the face with the coding part of it. Um, and yeah, so then, for me, my personal favorite was episode 10, which I once, like, this has a great queer-coded sequence because I just once said that you really just have to watch it and enjoy that sweet lesbian French in Japanese. Because there is a monologue between the two rivals who, you know, it's just it's just great because that one is, they're rivals that always bring the best out of each other. And then it, it, it spins romantically for that, with that kind of emotional scene. Um, so that one, I don't know how you can see platonically at all. And I hope that does give a good sense. Um, people who play the mobile game will hate me for not bringing up Rui Akakaze, who is actually a useless lesbian who obsesses over her senpai and legitimately... Who's a useless lesbian? <laughs> she is. There are so many of them in Bushiroad IPs and just, they're all the best... They're the best of the lesbians, I guess. I'm so sorry. I've just offended, like, half of the lesbians out there. Um, but yeah, so, like, this character just falls apart and kind of, like, just goes into full-on squee and, like, fangirl mode for her senpai. And other characters do refer to it as, like, a crush or, like, as... With, like, a romantic uh, charge to it. So, yeah, I don't know. Review Starlight is very much a queer-coded, um, queer-coded series. And you should watch it. You should both watch it. <laughs> I guess I'm trying. Like been um, there's so many ways I need to watch. Down us since like the beginning of time. I feel. Like. <laughs> what, what was that? What was that? What did you say? I said they've been pounding this down on us <laughs> since the beginning of time. So since the beginning that they've known us. Yes. Yeah. Since Medis wanna... made me watch it. Yes, I'm on that train. <laughs> okay, if I can convince, if I can convince you guys to watch or read Golden Kamui, then I will do the same for Review Starlight. That's my ultimatum. <laughs> hey, I I told Medi to watch Yagakimi. He didn't finish it. I did my I did my half of the job. I watched Review Starlight. Okay, yeah. Everyone but at that, at him at right that now, tell him to finish Yagakimi. <laughs> Um, so basically what I was going to say that I think is pretty important for context is Sentai, uh, Sentai who is the official licensor for Review Star Starlight actually was tweeting and posting a lot of social posts about uh, about this anime during Pride Month, which is that is no coincidence. You know, if the licensor <laughs> is very purposefully yeah. pushing for that anime during a month that is celebrating, you know, queer people. Right, and so. Right. Uh, another thing that it made me think of, I just want to say, is when we Please. at Girl Taku were like, you know, spotlighting every single day a different a different character or a different anime that's part of the Pride right. uh, community. One of the quote retweets for our review Starlight tweet was, oh, no. "Someone in the show might be slightly straight." <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was such a funny tweet. So it's true. Um, <laughs> Um, and so I, I just appreciated that for all it is. But yeah. like, for my, I think I think when the licensor itself is pushing it so strongly, I think its intentions are pretty clear at that yeah. point, you know? And oh, also, yeah. like, the, the, the talk about the episode where you're, like, literally sniffing the pillow and, like, staring at the water yeah. and stuff. <laughs> everything actually, is sparkly. Like, her, it, it's all from her point of view, and everything just, like, sparkles when she's has anything in sight related to the main character. Yes, exactly. So, which is why I'm like, I think I think to try to deny that would actually be kind of blind of you to try right. to deny it. it. What it actually reminds me of is, you know, bringing in a Western show here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I really love The Good Place. And the main character for The Good Place, Eleanor, is either bi or pan. We're, we're not sure. But it is without question that she has shown that she is sexually attracted to both men and women. But it's never explicitly stated, you know, like right. you never see her like with an ex-girlfriend or something like that. But the way that she comments about certain female characters and like how hot and attracted she is to them <laughs> and like legit. Really one in particular. <laughs> yes, the one in particular. And at one point she just goes and like, you know, and like she was complaining about that woman. And then while she was complaining, she goes, well, now I'm turned on because I was complaining about her. <laughs> And so it's like, it's, it's like, it's so 
blatant while not explicitly saying, yeah. hey, I am bi, to try to deny that at this point would be kind of odd. And that's what I oh, feel yeah. like about Review Starlight, especially with those scenes, you know, like mm. if like if I'm seeing that scene of smelling their pillows and sparkly <laughs> staring at their water bottles, imagining their lips were on it, like to try to deny <laughs> that is just like, I don't even know. Like, you just want to be blind at this point. So, yeah. So that's 100% of what I was referring to with, like, technically there is plausible deniability because no one ever says anything. And I think that it's great that you bring up the good place because that's absolutely an awesome way to put a bi-ish or, like, you know, not straight representation into something because I think that that's where media needs to go, where they don't, where you don't have to say anything, where you can just look at a character and the way they act and be like, oh, that's super bi, cool, and then not need anything more. Um, and I think that is where queer coding is kind of directing media toward. And I think that, oh, it'll be great once it uh, really, uh, you know, takes off that way. Mm-hmm. I do have yeah. one quick question. Why do you think Review Starlight never explicitly went like, oh, they're gay. You know, they are lesbians. They are disaster <laughs> oh, lesbians, God. you know, on a stage competing while there's like a giraffe. I don't know what the point of the giraffe is. Don't tell me. But <laughs> You gotta watch the anime to know the point of the giraffe. It's explained very quickly. Um, yeah, so I think that's a great question because it go- I think it boils down to intentionality again, where um, one way you could see it is that the creators didn't feel like they needed to say it. So that, again, might go back to, it's so queer that you have to be blind or even just straight up homophobic to not want to view something that way. Um, The other alternative is, again, kind of the queer baiting part where it's like you want to show it up until a point, but you still want it to be marketable. So you don't actually say, yes, it's actually like a gay thing um, to allow those people who want to be blind to that kind of... uh, to, be, to want to be blind to that kind of content so you can still bring in that type of audience. So it could be either one, in my opinion. So I guess, like, that goes back to what Agnes was saying about the pros and the cons. Obviously, the pro of queer, co- queer coding is a lot, a lot better than queer baiting. That's without question. But, you know, it, it does hark back to her cons of, like, there being kind of a blurred line between the two where you still don't want to ostracize the group of people who might be against it like do you feel that's somewhat like insulting you know as someone who's part of this community or like what are your thoughts about that blurred line you know yeah I find I mean I find it really annoying I don't know about insulting because you know knowing the history behind it you, you get why it doesn't make it it doesn't make it any better it doesn't make it any more valid to you know do queer baiting but you, you get why um and that kind of, and it makes me think of kind of the children's shows of Western media. So you have something like Adventure Time, where Rebecca Sugar had said they really wanted to make uh, Bubblegum and Marceline thing very early in the series. Mm. And then you have the season finale years later, where they get to kiss on screen. So yeah. that in between is the important part, where you got stuff like, uh, like Steven Universe um, and... You know, like that, that's a gigantic series that has all of this queer coding where you have like asexual space rocks and a main character who's very feminine, but is a guy and then, you know, combines with his best friend to become a non-binary space rock combination thing. Like you have the little things and it's written by Rebecca Sugar in such a way where it is absolutely queer coded, but they never say anything. And it's also a children's show where I'm assuming the executives had assumed it's like, well, the ki- uh, don't ever say it explicitly. The kids will never pick up on it if you just code it that way. But, you know, kids are a lot smarter than anyone ever thinks. So coding it that way really does kind of allow, you know, younger audience to pick it up in a more natural way. And I think that it just it just depends, right? Like, I, I, I like it coded in that sense because, again, I don't think you ever... You don't need to say it super blatantly as though you're like looking right at the camera and being, by the way, these two are gay. I, I think that I think that one is kind of um, I think that one is kind of insulting because it's like you're telling me that, but you're not showing me. It's like show don't tell. You're, you're telling me the thing, but you can just show me it. And if you just show me it to the point of 
without a shadow of a doubt, where it's like, the characters kiss. Then that's really great. And then you don't have to say, you don't have to say a word. Um, yeah. And then I think, I think it gets even, like, better later on, uh, with Western media, because after you have something like Steven Universe try to push for, you know, more blatant, not blatant, but like, more queer characters in shows, then you have other Western shows like Kipo, Shira, and all of those ones able to just kind of put the characters front and center and make that a major part of their story and character arcs rather than, oh, here, by the way, this character likes that other character, but we're never going to use it in the actual main story. I got it. So what was yeah. the third one that you wanted to touch on briefly before we move forward with, uh, you know, our picks based on, you know, our own research? And, oh, for sure. Know, yeah. Yeah, and that actually does uh, connect pretty well with this whole, I don't know, like, angle that I've tried to take, where Bang Dream came out 2015, uh, Review Starlight started 2017, and this one is D4DJ, which started 2020. So you can see the progression and, like, lack of progression in a way between these major franchises. So D4DJ has six different units. There's four characters each, and they all kind of have, just like I mentioned with, like, Bang Dream, they have interpersonal relationships that are already established. So you can kind of connect the dots as much. For, like, 90% of the game, it's pure bait. It's the same thing as Bang Dream. Cute girls are doing cute things, but you, you don't have enough you know, you don't have that extra push to turn it into something that is super romantic and super, you know, super queer. Um, until you get to one unit, which is called Brondo. They're the rock unit, and obviously the edgy mess that they are is makes them my favorite unit because I grew up with pop punk and that's the thing. <laughs> so obviously they were outing my... yourself here. Hey, I yeah. Oh God. Um, it's okay. Gracie's here. Uh, so. Hey! <laughs> wait, wait, what's the relevance uh, of Gracie's? Uh, uh, nothing, I didn't say anything. So, anyway, um, Rondo is like the, the J Rock group in an electronica DJ game. Um, and from this, from the get go with those character profiles, two of the characters have this kind of related line where it's like they're considered to be like getting into their own world a lot of the time, where it's described as like whenever these two characters talk, they kind of just lose sense of everyone else around them. And then I was like, ha! Wow. I was like, ha! That sounds pretty gay. But then I went into it very carefully, because I'm like, it's pretty, it's probably bait, whatever. It's cute, but it's bait. Uh, and then it, and then you roll around to the Valentine's Day event, which is, a, it's, in the mobile game has various events, and they had a mo- the Valentine's Day event. Sadly, it was not in English, but I'm sure you could find subtitles somewhere. Um, where this other disaster lesbian, because she's, she is a disaster lesbian. Uh, Subaki, she goes to one of their bandmates and she's just like, okay, I need your help. I want to make something special for the other character. Can you tell me how to make chocolates? Like, can you tell me how to make something or do anything that will get her attention in some way? And she does this because Aoi, the other character, is like super ikemen. She's an ikemona. She has all of these fangirls and obviously on Valentine's Day, she's going to get a plethora of you know, chocolates and all these other, like, fangirl-type gifts. So then is just like, well, I want to give something special that will stand out. Um, and then that's kind of just how the event goes. She spends an entire day stalking her at school. She spends an entire day trying to make homemade chocolates. She gets jealous over all the fangirls. And then on the, on the day of, she, like, gets cold feet until the other character is like, let me just show you how it's done. And that was the... That one's one of my favorite ones, which I'll go over in a second. But so these two characters... She, like, brings the other girl out and is like, okay, well, here's chocolates. I hope you like them. And then the other character is like, oh, well, I actually bought you chocolates also. <laughs> so they end up exchanging chocolates on Valentine's Day with the very direct statement of, I wanted to buy something for someone who was special. And then there is an offhand line where one of the characters says, you always say things that are so embarrassing. And the other character is like, just call me a romantic. So that's... A lot, <laughs> because it's it's an entire event that I don't ex- that I never expected to happen, and then you know events from then on really egg it on, where anytime Subaki sees the other character with any other girls, she just goes into like berserk jealous mode, and then the other girl is a dense like stupid idiot 
who just doesn't realize that she's making her presumably girlfriend jealous. Um, and this is kind of that interesting line where you have to be absolutely blind to not see that as romantic. But they also don't say that they're dating. They also don't do any of that. It's just a really cute exchange of chocolates that are absolutely romantically charged. Um, so yeah, I don't know. With that kind of explanation of how their relationship goes, how, how do you see that? I definitely think it sounds pretty gay. Yeah. <laughs> only, That's gay, only man. Only because, like, the, the, the fact that it's, it starts from a chocolate giving of yep, men right. yep. spurs mm-hmm. on to. Because, yep. <laughs> I mean, like, Japan has, like, you know, the, we all know this as oh, we yeah. watch and consume Japanese anime, that Japan has two types of chocolates, right? You have the romantic giving chocolate to whoever you want to give it to, and then you have, like, the obligatory chocolate, right? The way that they phrase it is not something you would say if you were giving somebody obligatory chocolate. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. on top no. of that, and then on top of that, you mentioned like the, that one of them gets insanely jealous mm-hmm. based off of the of stemming, and that was an event that comes after the chocolate event, which really brings into light like most of our like friendships with males or females would never happen like that if it was actually platonic. So in reality, right. this is actually very Yeah, gay, no, right? I agree. Right? I like, think, uh, like, even for someone, because I, like, for example, I could see, since I'm really, really close to my girlfriends, like, really close, I, like, in a weird way, I'm like, if we were all characters in a slice of life story, like, I could see, like, me getting shipped with them because <laughs> I'm that Yankee girl who's, like, really affectionate, you know, and, like, says that I love you to them all the time. And I want to see I- Gracie's life as an anime. <laughs> no, 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 you do not. <laughs> she needs to have the cle- she needs to have the cleaver emote Ooh, as well yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that only happens when I'm cooking. But anyway, we're getting off topic here. Let's not talk about me. So, ah, um, oh, darn. I, in a way, I am talking about me. But what I am saying is, <laughs> I do like, like platonically, I there's no fear in me making chocolates and giving them to my friends. You know, because it's like I know they're gonna be excited right, for yeah. me. I know they're gonna, they're, I know they're gonna love it. They're gonna be really excited and stuff like that. Some of them might be a little surprised at most being like, oh, you're giving me chocolates. But it's not like it's not like that the way you described it. So, yeah. And and I didn't even go over the kind of like meeting story that these characters have, like the uh, kind of like origin story of how this unit comes together is also just the main vocalist girl who's the, that's the jealous one. She just is a disaster because she's I, it's amazing. Uh, basically, it's just, it's really good. But basically, the one character is just like, I need you. And then she's like, what? What are you talking about? You need me? And then the other girl, the other girl clarifies. And then she's like, yeah, I need you. I need your voice. And then the other character is like, my voice. You need my voice. And then she, oh, she's she, disappointed. She, wow. <laughs> she, she like leaves the scene. And then the other two characters who are already part of the unit are just like, she thought you were asking her out. Like, she thought you were hitting on her. And then she's like, <laughs> so they, they did start it and they kind of like they, so teased it. <laughs> they teased it from the start it's so sad. <laughs> that's how dumb she is then i love her she's my favorite character she's very stupid but that's kind of like <laughs> she's the, very stupid she's my favorite character <laughs> we all love in here. <laughs> <laughs> hey that's you have what you know like tamaki from oran high school Club? he's very stupid also was my favorite like that is there is my type Tomaki Prince. was not my favorite. <laughs> Prince, Prince, but stupid. Uh, mm. And then, yeah, so like that's that's kind of like where it begins. And then they drop the Valentine's Day one, and then you're like, why did they do that to me? Ah, get out of here. Um, mm. But yeah, like, it's super interesting because, again, a D4DJ is, it's big. Like, all of the other units, they don't have any of that. Kind of, well, one pair does, but I don't feel like going over it. All the other units kind of like have that feeling where it's just like, oh, cute girls are being really cute with each other. And then this one arrives and it's like both pairs of the characters in this unit are really gay. So then I went over the disastrous ones very quickly. The other two are very casual where it feels like they've known each other all their lives. And they're also just holding hands doing it. They're like, it's like, it's like a couple that doesn't feel like they're together, but they absolutely are because they just know each other so well. Um... And, like, treat each other super well in very romantic and caring ways. Where it's, like, you could technically say, it's, like, oh, they're just making food for each other. Oh, she just made, like, friendship chocolates secretively and gave it to her also on Valentine's. I, yeah. Anyway, though that that's kind of just a, a really interesting um, kind of, like, three major IPs of this uh, company. 
those are the three major IPs, and then you have you have queer bait, queer code, and then a mix of both for the last. Yeah, one. I was about to say the other one's kind of like a more muddled, like that blurred yeah. line, you know, that we so, talked about. Yeah, and, I, and then that's kind of like why I wanted to do this progression because it's like you can see that they learned how to do their bait, they learned how to do their code, and then they kind of have this middle ground where it's like if you want to ignore or if you just aren't interested in those they are lesbians in the lesbian unit you can just kind of move your attention to the other five groups like you have another avenue to continue consuming that media um so yeah that's uh that's my spiel on bushiroad uh stuff like i could just i could analyze it all day but we don't have all day (laughs) (laughs) yes my bad so moving on then in that case, Agnes, when you were researching, uh, you know, these definitions and stuff, I'm really curious, like, which animes came to mind, you know, when you're researching for like the queer coded anime versus like queer baiting anime? Oh, God, I feel like it was so hard in the context, not in the context of Bushiro, because Bushiro there seems like it's more clear cut. But a lot of Japanese anime like tend to toe the lines quite a bit only because there's so many uh, there's so many boundaries that they can't cross. Like, for instance, you have Japanese broadcasting, you have uh, the more conservative part of Japanese mm-hmm, society, yeah. which makes up a big bulk of politics. We all know that. I'm not going to cover it. Um, and then you also have the, uh, you know, the, the doujin side and things like that uh. that hint at it. So it really muddles a lot of it versus in the Western conception, it's much more clear cut. You can see it much more clearly, but in a lot of Japanese media, it's really difficult. So I, for this one, I like I came up with a, like a, a good list, but I'm just like, which one falls in what? We'll talk <laughs> so about far, that, it's like, right? Yeah. Let's talk about that. So <laughs> one of the, the biggest ones that I came up with originally before we had more of this discussion was Yuri on Ice because okay. the show itself is not catered as yaoi. Right, right. But there's so many yaoi undertones in there, okay. right? It's very gay. It's like very well, to like say right it's off the not bat. Gay would be kind of ridiculous at this point. Like I was saying, right? With, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like it's funny because like when you because the way that Yuri and Ice was promoted is that it's there's no tag for it, which is probably the easiest way of how an anime watcher gets to certain genres is based on the tags. Yuri and Ice is not. Uh, not even on licensors like Crunchyroll is not advertised as Yaoi or Boys Love. It's literally sports. It's just sports. And people are just like, oh, it's ice skating. It's like totally harmless. See, episode two comes out and we see Victor's ass like on screen. Like, I don't know how much more gay you want to get. And he's flamboyant. To be fair, he did have a very, he had a very nice chiseled butt, but he's literally in the hot springs. He's just like, Yuri, join me. Kira Kira sparkles. And I'm like, that isn't gay. I don't know what is. (laughs) I guess, well, okay. So I'm kind of curious on the the fact that it's considered queer coding considering the fact that they did kiss granted right granted the arm did cover perfectly where their mouths met but at the same time to say it's not kissing would be dumb <laughs> so, right you know, exactly like, yeah right. and i mean and i think like that's like the the eventual progression of how we want queer coded to evolve into the future is that there are these signs that will tell you like this is absolutely gay without needing context any more than what is already stated and eventually it will progress to a more wholesome ending which is what yuri and ice did you know they're married on top of that they live very happily lives and i think that's what we want the or at least at, at least I hope it would be, is that there's a, a clear romantic progression throughout and all the characters are happy at the end without needing to blatantly say things like, I'm gay, or to blatant, or to just like hint and tease at the audience but not give what's delivered and not do the LG, the, not give the community justice. I, I, I do wish though that they had the guts to take the arm away from the kiss. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because that, that ends up being that plausible deniability thing. Yeah, and believe scene. it or not, I remembered online some people were trying to deny it. I was just like, how? <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, like how? Yeah. that's why it was designed that way. I assume I didn't watch it. <laughs> I guess like in a in a more like autonomical way. There's no way that with your arms outstretched like this, 
are you like evading a kiss from like the side and like, <laughs> like no, nah, stay right there. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's you're literally so like zoned in on the person's face with your arms outstretched that there's no way that your head can like move without the camera panning into it and realizing like you're not kissing. Mm-hmm. Like you you can't you if Agnes you erase coming the arm, out here you're with kissing. the facts on biology, guys. Like look at the way our bodies are structured. It is not possible. <laughs> this is how arms I, work. I don't, I, I don't believe it. I mean like if you're like a ventriculist, like okay, sure, whatever. But like is it ventriloquist? No, the voice, voice one. Yes. Oh, sorry. What's the? What's the, sorry. you mean? Like contortionist? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the contortionist. Like there's no way. Like unless you're a contortionist, you which go. obviously none of them are, can evade such a thing. And so therefore, it is almost it is without a doubt that they kiss yeah. and that they and of course, the the wonderful thing is like similar to how the Stevens Universe uh, creators made it. They have a happy ending. You know, they get married, you know, they have rings on their fingers, and they are very happily queer and very gay. So that's the that's the one show that stood out to me as queer coded. But the one show that stood out to me that was queer bait is actually very recent, and that is Wonder Egg Priority. Oh, and okay. this is and this is very it's more towing between queer bait and queer coded because of the way that it's too convenient. Mm. Okay. And doesn't make it queer. So, for instance, um, when you're looking at oh, what's the the tomboy girl's name? Uh, Momoe. Um, Momoe. Yeah. So in her arc with uh, Kaoru, mm-hmm. right? Yes. There's like a lot of hints, especially because Kaoru is uh trans. Yes. It almost feels like it's too convenient that they make it trans, and then Momoe is somebody who is like, like. Per- technically female but male masculine presenting so it kind of feels like it's not it's quite appeasing to the uh the queer audience that that obviously supports trans and also like queer identity especially in momoi who feels like she toes between like non-binary of being like biologically female but being more comfortable presenting as male but it also toes the more convenient side to cater towards conservative audiences because if you're saying well kaoru is technically male then male plus female is a biological heteronormative relationship so that's why i felt like wonder egg priority was a bit queer baiting in a i sense. have thoughts on that but you can go first because i because right, i don't so know i was anyway, about so. to ask like is that considered queer Baiting though, because Moe did make it pretty clear early on when you meet her that she identifies as a girl and it's other people who keep trying to put her into the box of masculinity because she has broader shoulders and she likes her hair a little shorter, like, you know, men. And um, because, you know, we see her later wearing dresses and she really likes wearing dresses. And, you know, and then, and like, because mm. it was like, it was almost to me Moe's character was a criticism on heteronormativity right. as a whole because it's like here is a girl who very much identifies as a girl but looks androgynous and people always try to shoehorn her into the into the male category when she very much wants to be in the female category and that's like a topic that tends to constantly come up with her as well. Um, you know, where she talks with Nehru and she, um, you know, they had a conversation where Nehru was saying, you know, maybe I'm not fit to be a girl because I, you know, because I say things very pointed, pointedly directly and I hurt people's feelings and I don't really know how to st- soften the words and stuff like that. And Momoe like was able to like, you know, perfectly, uh, you know, talk with her and be like, oh, I get what you're saying. Like, not, you know, not that, like, I talk like you where I'm more blunt, you know, and more direct, but I understand the idea of maybe not feeling like, quote unquote, a girl, but very much knowing that you are a girl deep inside. And so, and so I just, like, is that really, I guess, like, I I guess I don't really know what the queer baiting part is, is what I'm getting confused on. (laughs) This is too real for me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, it's it's too real in a, in a really interesting way. Um, but first, did you have something to say with that? Or like what what you think uh, is the bait part? Because I'm curious too. I think the bait part is that because one, as we saw with the progression of Wonder Egg, things started to change a lot. 
uh, not just the characters' stories overall, but also the ending plot, especially with the finale. We too. we do not talk um, about so, the finale. We do not talk about the finale. <laughs> <laughs> so That's so why I, didn't I end feel up like it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I stopped at episode twelve, and I'm like, I'm done. Oh. Goodbye. <laughs> um, but I felt like I guess the de- the part of me that wants to feel like defensive, defending over these two characters mm-hmm. is that because it doesn't feel like Japan had the guts to say to make it completely queer coded in a way i don't know it's just very strange how they they put the two characters there conveniently because in a way you could twist it and say for especially the more conservative audience being like oh it's male and female sort of thing yeah okay uh i don't again i don't know the context of this anime based off of the details you've given me um i would say that i feel like a conservative audience would see a trans character and not care about the end up like the straight it wouldn't care about the relationship ending up as straight yeah uh, see that's what i they was would, thinking they as see well. the oh, they would see the trans character okay. and probably not care at all that that character is trans like they probably I, I don't know i don't, I don't think that a, a conservative person would care no that. no if anything since i moderate our social media uh the conservative okay, but, people are actually more open to the idea of lesbian women than they are towards rather than a trans person than a trans person okay yeah yeah so like even okay, in our com- uh, even even in our comments actually that makes sense <laughs> they were like oh it's two girls you know and of course there mm. are many people who immediately jump on it's like no Kaoru is a trans boy you know right. he identifies as a boy and one mm. person literally responded back with well two girls being together is still more normal than a girl who thinks huh. that she Ouch. is a boy you know sort oh. of thing so if anything yeah, it's a, if anything okay. in my opinion this is why like I'm disagreeing is I think it's a gutsier move in my opinion so but Jack please continue yeah. no that that makes more that makes more sense now in the social media context i'm just assuming that because they're trying to push towards like the male and female agenda mm. but in reality the comments in the viewership are more okay with the fact that they are lesbian rather lesbian what lesbian rather than actually trans so that is a very good point actually so i guess that would make it more queer coded in a sense because they had the guts to do it yeah. and that they were expl- they were throwing in that uh, now taking words from my definition throwing in the su- the subtext context um and it was deliberately planted by the creators yeah. as well. well I mean isn't I, it, it is is it pretty explicit I thought that Kaoru is trans isn't that what it was Yes no. it was yeah, very it's pretty explicit, explicit. okay it's pretty yeah. explicit So yeah. then I feel like that, at least for Kaoru that would be very blatantly just it would be blatant it wouldn't be coded at that point I um, but yeah, so like this whole thing just kind of <laughs> it flashes me back to um, just my own personal experiences. Woo, I'm doing a personal story talk. If you didn't watch the Yuri episode, I, I just like casually said that, by the way, I'm also a trans person, so I'm a trans guy. And that is a very sort of familiar conversation that I've had before with people that I know about. It's like, what does it mean to be this or that in the context of socialization? Um, so it's like you question yourself a lot with like your gender identity. If you don't feel like your gender identity matches up with like the type of character, the type of socialization that you're supposed to be. So growing up with women ideals in mind, I didn't feel like that way. And then hearing that that's a, you know, a very direct conversation in Wonder Egg sounds really cool. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's super cool that you have Mm -hmm. those conversations or like the stars align one about, like yeah. talking about X gender mm. and being oh, very clear yeah. about yeah exactly like being very clear that this is a discussion to be had um, I think that's a great step in it's not even queer coding at that point I don't think that's just legitimate queer questioning on a very real and very real life way um, and like for me I think it's really interesting that you bring up like the tomboy stuff because uh, funnily enough one of my favorite tropes is the Ikonas people probably know by now i really like the princely types princely girls um and you know one of the main things at least if you look at i'm oh my god i bring this back to bushido i can't believe it if you look at their card arts um uh all of the uh princely girl types always have a suit card there's always they always have a card where they're wearing a suit and they look absolutely um handsome and of you know whatever spectrum you choose to follow um and i think that that's kind of a big that's a big step 
to show a girl who is biologically female who has these tomboyish traits, but she breaks that trope. She breaks the princely. She brings. She breaks the princely trope because she just feels like it. And I think that's a really important, different type of representation um, that all media should probably like have because queer people just look like people. Um, like very, ob- it's like very obviously no, they're stated. They're aliens. Just, wow. Like, <laughs> is that what happens? Is that what you mean by Wonder Egg priority becomes sci-fi? It turns out that all the queer people are just aliens. <laughs> Maybe oh I should God. watch it. <laughs> that would be the fucking twist of the century. <laughs> yeah. Oh so I think that, yeah, I think that that's, that's really cool. I don't know if it's queer beta queer code. I just going right off to a different topic, but what I'm hearing is that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's my reaction. That's cool. Okay, that's okay. good. So definitely in that case, Wondering Priority falls under queer coded. And then I got nothing for queer baited only because I do, I do, I do. Yeah. I'm raising my hand. You can't see okay, me. But okay. I do. Are you gonna talk <laughs> okay, about okay. uh sound imponium or whatever that's called? So I was considering <laughs> that, but then because my bait versus coded, I kinda wanna get them paralleled, so I've decided to pick yeah. um so unfortunately I didn't have a good parallel for uh, for sound euphonium because uh, once again I don't know why or I do know why but anime tends to be a little braver when it comes to lesbian girls and so for that reason and even Honestly, that yeah. yeah even that most, me- like, most media yeah, yeah most, most media, media as a whole and so forward. yeah yeah so um, I ended up for my uh, queer baiting I chose Moriarty the Patriot and uh. Oh, I see. Yes, I see. Okay, I understand. No doubt in my mind that that was a marketing ploy. Like I have absolutely no doubt in my mind about it because. Oh yeah. um, Yeah. And it actually wasn't even that serious. I I didn't even I when I was watching the series I didn't think it was queer baby up until the very end where they suddenly dialed it up to like eleven. In regards to the framing, the music, and stuff like that. But the reason why I say it's queer baiting, because I know a lot of people ship Sherlock and Moriarty, and they're going to say, no, it's not queer baiting. It's queer coding, you know, because look at the reference. Look at the framing and the lighting and all that stuff. It's the dialogue that shows to me it's queer baiting because the dialogue reinforces it over and over and over again. That Sherlock was like, Liam is my friend. Liam is my friend. I'm going to save him. He is my friend. He is my friend. He is my friend. And he says it over and over and over again without pause sort of thing. No homo bro. Yes, exactly. No, it's basically. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I love you, man. No homo. Yes. No, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Except it doesn't make sense to frame just a friend as one leaps off the bridge and the other one leaps off the bridge with him, reaching out and then hugging him towards him and was like, let's live in this world we created together. <laughs> I'm like, uh, Moriarty, either you go the whole way or you don't go the whole way. Like, pick and choose, dude. And so, like, it's just, like, and um, to give... And I wanted to, so this is the reason why I wanted to parallel it, because I know there's going to be people who are like, I don't agree. I think it's queer coded. I think it's really obvious, even though the dialogue says that they're just friends. Obviously, the framing takes more precedence and stuff like that. But I don't necessarily agree with it. And it's because uh, Skate the Infinity exists. Uh, and um, <clears throat> Yes. And I thought that was a perfect parallel to show the difference between queer baiting and queer coding, since, uh, since Skate the Infinity is queer coded and there are very specific scenes to help illustrate that fact so one of the first ones is when Reki and Langa had gotten into one of their fights that was actually pretty bad uh mainly because uh, Langa um I, I'm not gonna give the details it's just they got in a fight okay and it wasn't great and they weren't really talking to each other because of that and so, um, and Longa was very, you know, sad about it. And he was also really stressed because, you know, this Reiki matters a lot to him and he wants to resolve this, but things, the atmosphere is too tense and it's too muddled. And we all know that feeling, you know, like you got into a fight and you're not, and you want to resolve it, but you're not quite sure how to resolve it properly. And so, and it feels uncomfortable. And he ends up asking, or his mom picks up that he needs advice and the 
And the first thing his mom was like, like, it's come time for Langa to talk to me about girl problems and the girl that he has a crush on. And so, and like, that was her first thought. And she actually does give him very good advice where she tells him, you know, yes, the atmosphere is muddled and stuff, but the atmosphere will never be clear unless you're, you know, honest with your feelings and you tell it to your person straight, you know, how you feel and stuff like that. And then she legit goes, you like him, right? Or you like this person, right? And Longa looks away, kind of embarrassed. He gets plushies on his face. Sign number two. And he goes, well, yeah. And so, and then she added, and then she added it, you know, where she was like, go get that girl and everything at the very end. And Longa was like, kind of like confused and shocked. and was like, what girl? girl? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so like that scene right there immediately sets up the queer coding. And I think what's oh, really yeah. important is at the end, they never like, yes, they are friends, obviously. And they start off as friends because they start off as strangers and they met and they became friends. And that's like the course of their relationship. They became friends and they became closer and then they became something else. But essentially after that scene where Longa like, you know, talks about it with his mom, they stopped like the narration stopped framing it as this is my friend. You know, this is my friend sort of thing. Instead, they started framing it as He's my passion. He's my inspiration. Even I'm getting sick. They don't have fun skating unless it's with each other. Yes, that's exactly. The basic, that's and the like, basic. Literally, yeah. literally yeah. at the end, there was a part where Longo was like, you know, because at the start, he, Longo's, um, at the start, seems a little depressed, in my opinion, likely to do with oh, the fact. Super- Super depressed. Okay, 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 cool. <laughs> he was hella depressed. He, he seems depressed. Nah, he's really depressed. Okay, I just didn't want to make assumptions. I'm sorry, guys. Okay. <laughs> but well, it was good, that just it was died in the series. But I think, they, I think he's pretty depressed. Yeah. No, he was really depressed. And so, basically, okay, now that you two are done laughing at me, so... Um, we're never done ba- oh god uh, basically what happened was you know he has found joy again he has found he essentially found something fun and he's found his place and he was like I love skating I love skating so much and the panning shot of skating is not him skating it's Recky skating while he's going I love skating I'm just like dude you love him like you know like that's all there is to um, and like, there's even like a further scene where Longa is basically like, you know, Reki, you're amazing. You're like the most important person in my life right now, stuff like that. And Reki gets yeah. super nice. duper blushy and embarrassed and was like, stop, stop, you know, like I can't take it anymore. And, and like his whole face is red, like a full on shoujo blush is what it is. And so, so when you compare that kind of anime which you know never really never explicitly said they were gay they're in a relationship you know any of those steps but the setup and the dialogue and everything and you compare it with Moriarty the Patriot where it was just you know all these framing and this music but the lines and the stories as a whole just keeps compounding in your head I'm looking for my friend I'm here with my friend and stuff like that it's I feel like it's just too clear, the differences, you know? Like, at least for me, it just seems too clear between the two. And so yeah. that's so that's why I picked those two particular anime for doing queer baiting versus queer coding. Did I get it right, Jack? Am I a good student? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you did tell me to watch it because you thought it was gay. So you picking up that is probably bait. I think you're probably right on that. Okay. However, I did watch Skate. And I did watch it with my brother, and I will 100% tell you that that boy is a cishet boy to the, like, nth degree. He doesn't pick up on these things. He very quickly picked up on it on Skate. He, should, he kept asking me. He's just like, he's just like, he's, you see a scene where Longa and Reki bond in some way, and he's just like, is this gay? Did you make me watch a gay anime? Like, that's how we'll say it. And then I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, no, man, this is just skating. And then, you know, at the end, when we see everything that you've described, I think I did just straight up tell you and you and Agnes like immediately. I was just like, Heh. my brother was just like, did you just make me watch an anime that turned gay? And I was like, what do you mean turned? Yeah. What do you mean turned? <laughs> yeah. So my answer is if that boy can, yeah, if my brother can figure out that there is gay context here, then I think it's pretty, very clearly queer coded. 
I do want to say that I'm not <laughs> surprised that it was queer coded. Or actually, Jack, what did you think of that queer coding? Did you like that queer coding in Skate Theme? I thought it was uh, yeah, half of it. I liked. Okay. The half that is the half that is Adam. I could do without it. Oh, uh, everything about Adam. I, I think everyone can everything agree. about yeah. Adam. Like I, I get why the framing of it is there's all of your bad Yowie tropes in that him. I could have done that. But everything else with Mia being very feminine, I love that part. And then he's just a very, he's very feminine, but he's a very overconfident, like, I was about to swear. He's a very overconfident, like, just, you know, little kid that you just want to kick sometimes. You just just want to kick sometimes. I'm sorry. That's worse than saying the swear. I'm sorry. But you know what I mean. He's just like, you're just like, you are a tiny child and I wish I could, you're a gremlin and I just, oh, God. So yeah, Mia being that, where it's like very feminine looking, but just absolutely not, that's a wonderful touch. Shadow being super aggressively misogynistic in his first appearance, and then you're just like, oh, he's in love with the little florist lady, that's so sweet, and he's just like a little ball of sweet. And everything that Joe and Cherry are, because that's absolutely... An old married couple. Everything... (laughs) Absolutely, 100%. And they don't have to say anything, like nothing about the anime of this side of character has to say anything. The person who's yelling the loudest about being remotely queer is the villain and is just kind of gross. So that kind of like, I think that was very deliberately framed. I don't like Adam, but I get why, and I'm not angry that they chose to do that type of illustration. Okay, got it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's good to know because um, what's funny is I realized when I was uh, preparing for this episode that Banana Fish could have been queer-coded because throughout the series, Ash and Aji never actually say I love you to each other. You mm. just know they're in love with mm. each other and that they are – that. They're ro- they have romantic feelings for each other, but it was never explicitly said. But I actually, and I obviously ended up not, I think the author, the mangaka, ultimately took it a step further where it became out of queer coding and it became like very explicit through her fan arts, not her fan arts, but like her fan books where she drew official art of like actually Eiji kissing, uh, not Ash kissing Eiji's neck, which at this point you're like, yeah, no, there's no way to, there's no way around it. It's just explicitly out there at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's but if, key. if it wasn't all those like ex- extra things that she did, I think Banana Fish would would have been queer coded. But Skate, on the other hand, doesn't have those extra things, and so I feel like that that was really a good example of queer coding that I could sort of show in comparison to one that I very much think is queer baiting and is like stuck in my mind because I recently finished it. So, um, all right then. Uh, so I hope everyone who has listened are able to sort of better tell the difference between queer baiting and queer coding. We've got official definitions. We've given you examples of anime that we think that... <laughs> Agnes, I saw those quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't qualify... I don't qualify myself as anyone who has who writes, like, official definitions. I just need definitions. It's Agnes official. There you go. I just need definitions so that I can... Go into a podcast knowing I have material to work with. <laughs> Otherwise, it's too open the air for You me. have one entire queer who agrees with your definition. So that's Yay! Solid. I'm solid. glad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. But yeah, hopefully everyone can sort of tell the difference now between queer baiting and queer coding and sort of like, you know, see it now when you guys watch anime. And I am also really curious to hear for any listeners embrace who it. might have their own uh, examples. Yes, and embrace it and embrace looking out for these things. So, uh, yeah, so thank you, everyone, for joining us today, and I hope you'll be with us next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.